Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. It is 9 o'clock, time for Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ann Hill, every Thursday here on COWS. Uh, this morning, I have a special guest on the radio, um, a return guest. I am speaking today to Ryan Hurd, who is really an expert in sleep paralysis and uh, has a book. He um, It was an e-book, and now it's out in print with some more extended matter and very interesting uh subject ranges. So I'm really excited to uh, have you on the air. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, it's good to be here. Great. Well, you've, you've, uh, since we last spoke, you've made the trek all the way across the country. Was it something we said? <laughs> we know what it was. Yeah. I hadn't experienced a true autumn in seven years. Oh, I said, that's it. I'm oh, done. Really? Oh, well, I, I can't fault you for it, but... San Geronimo is a little bit, you know, there's a little edge left flapping in, down there in, in San Geronimo. Oh, sweet San Geronimo. <laughs> it was a beautiful day every day oh, in San Geronimo. Well, I'm um, so glad you could join me on the, on the radio this morning, particularly given the season. This is our Halloween show. Uh, it's the 28th of October today, and... I just I I just think the subject matter fits so perfectly because sleep paralysis is so closely associated with uh, spirit visitations and otherworldly phenomena. I thought maybe we could sort of have fun with that as well this morning. So, so um, maybe you could tell people what. Let, let, let's just start with the basics. What is sleep paralysis? Well, just real quick, you promised spooky music. Oh yes, I did, and I'm actually queuing it up right now. Oh okay. Yes. Then I can do this. Okay, okay. You start talking, and I'll, and I'll start playing the spooky music. So, so sleep paralysis is, is the terrible feeling of waking up in the middle of the night and feeling like you can't move. Uh-huh. Do you and hear it, the spooky music? You know, it's not coming through All for right, me. Well, there, it's spooky over here. I'm getting creeped out. Keep on going. <laughs> it, it's... Uh, it's you know, what really makes sleep paralysis interesting is it's, it's a dream state, but it doesn't feel like a dream. Yeah. Uh, this is an experience of, of waking up, feeling like you can't move, mm-hmm. and often feeling a, a great pressure on your chest or your throat. And accompanying this is this ominous, creepy feeling that something evil is in the room with you. Yikes. That's it. <laughs> this is uh, one of the greatest mysteries of dream science. So, what is this creepy, ominous force? And it's 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 been, you know, uh, kind of interpreted so many different ways in different cultures and yeah. periods of history. Yeah. What, one of the things that I uh, heard you uh, you wrote about recently was the um, was the the whole fairy abduction, you know, the fairy lore. Um, in Celtic and Germanic countries, and and maybe you can uh, can you talk a little bit, like give us an example of one of those stories, maybe, and and just say how this how this 
could be related to sleep paralysis. Sure, yeah, I can I can get into that, but I really should talk probably briefly about how people in sleep paralysis often sometimes have visions mm-hmm. while they're in the paralysis. Okay. And this is um, not everybody experiences this. Um, one sleep paralysis expert, David Hufford at Penn State says that it happens maybe about 20% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happens to me, I'd say, yeah, I'd say maybe one out of, out of every four or five times. And this is while you're in the paralysis and you can't move, and, and maybe you, you have you know, this weight and this pressure on you and there's that ominous feeling, you can actually see someone or something approach the bed or sometimes some people feel pressure like almost like someone sitting down next to them in bed, the, the mattress will kind of sink down a little bit. Mm. Um, and full-blown sleep paralysis visions um, or hallucinations, I prefer the word visions because it's not so degrading of a term, yeah. can, can include all the senses. And, and often throughout history, people have seen creatures, demons, monsters, animals, humanoid weird things mm. that either look at them or confront them and even sit on their body and can molest them. Mm. And so that's, that's, that's sort of the full range. And, yeah, there's this piece about, about fairy lore that's really interesting that I came across when I was doing some research. And, you know, we tend to think of fairies um, as these sort of light, bubbly, blue creatures that, you know, it's very disnified, I think. Yeah. Well, uh, it's the, Victorianized, the too. The, the Victorians had at it in the, uh, before Disney even came around. Right. Yeah. You can't get more romantic than that. That's right. Um, and, but really, if you look at some of these older, um, these older medieval and, and so accounts of, of fairies, they abducted people out of their bed. The stories are of uh, waking up paralyzed in bed, and then a small creature enters the room, which was called a fairy, sometimes a gnome or a night elf, Mm -hmm. and they would abduct the person to fairyland. Right. Um, And and certain things would happen there, and then the the, uh, victim would wake up, um, wake up later. And uh, fairies were often blamed, too, for abducting children. So if children ever disappeared, they said, ah, the fairies got them. Right. There's, um, uh, and I'm thinking of some of the, uh, the uh, s- stories like uh, Thomas the Rhymer or uh, Tam Lin, where these stories are very long abductions. Actually, Thomas the Rhymer is kind of an interesting one because his experience of being abducted was that he came back and he uh, the, the curse or the blessing or whatever that he had gotten from uh, the Fae was that he could no longer lie. He had to, he had to tell the truth. And I just think that's, in- that's an interesting thing too. I mean, the idea of, of uh, your life, your waking life being forever changed by this experience of, call it lucidity, call it abduction, call it spirit visitation, whatever, however you want to frame that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's another cross-cultural um, uh, constant is that these experiences, people are very adamant. This was not a dream. Right. This was real. I was in my right mind. I was... You know, it, it happened to me while I was awake, yeah. um, and and it's that clarity, that lucidity, that makes you know makes it 
so incredible. Yes. I think we need to cue some spooky music. Ooh. Here's a storm. <laughs> oh, no, there was a little trick-or-treater. Sorry, I messed that <laughs> one up. You got to really pay attention to your little your little apps. Otherwise, you might get some errant trick-or-treaters in your otherwise spooky music. Oh, well. <laughs> so, you know, you know, thinking more about, about the fairies, you know, it's not just fairies. It was all of the little people yeah. have possibly a connection to this vision state. And maybe the way to think about it is, Sleep paralysis is an entryway to communication with the little people. Mm-hmm. And saying it like that kind of respects the phenomena for how it happens. It's not sort of reducing it to, well, that was a dream, or right. uh, you read a bunch of fairy tales as a kid, and therefore you're sort of projecting these images. But mm-hmm. it's not just European culture. It yeah. sort of happens all over the world. Yeah. I was particularly struck in your book, uh, reading it again um, before the show, about how you talk about the Pacific Rim as having a lot of cultures that are particularly interested in dreaming and that maybe there's some sort of geologic factor in it. Yeah, this is an idea that that sleep paralysis expert uh, Jorge Canisa Sevilla has been um, discussing and he's using another researcher's work with how geological anomalies can affect consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, you know, it's definitely research in its very early stages yeah. and is maybe just, we could say, suggestive at this point. Right. Um, however, you know, if you, take, if you take into the anthropology into it um, and you just simply put a pin on the map of everywhere that you have a dreaming culture that that includes sleep paralysis type uh, visions or hypnagogic hallucination type mm-hmm. visions, there is a definite pattern of the Pacific Rim all the way down, you know, into into Asia and, and you know, mm-hmm. up into Alaska and, and down again, British Columbia, mm-hmm. um, all the way down to uh, California. So, for instance, the, uh, the uh, First Nations people of British Columbia, do they have the same type of, uh, there's some sort of elements in their mythology of these abductions or strangers in the night? I don't have a specific account mm-hmm. from the First Peoples there. I, however, I do know that they are, there are some dreaming cultures there mm-hmm. um, that use uh, dreaming and lucid dreaming um, to, for, for shamanism, essentially. Right, right. Um, one one account by Hugh Brody, who wrote a book called The Map of Dreams, yeah. discusses um, a group of people that would use their dreams to help them um, hunt. Yeah. And so they would have a specific dream, and it would say, ah, they would perhaps even see the animals that they were going to kill the next day mm-hmm. and go out and say, I know where he's at. Fire mm. up the kettle. I'll be back in four, four hours. Right. And 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 sure enough, and and sure enough, yeah. the the animal would be in wait. It's interesting, you know. There's that Jungian concept of the willing sacrifice. Yeah. Here in this, this sort of idea of of, of a of a human animal um, communication with hunting. If mm-hmm. if if the hunt is done mm-hmm. with all of the right rituals and respecting nature and and and, and in balance, then these kind of occurrences can yeah. happen. So that's an example of of a general dreaming culture. Yes. You know, I find it so interesting. 
that I, I mean, I, I talk every so often, maybe once a month or so about nightmares and dreams and various different locations. And I've come to expect that at least one person, if not more, out of the audience will have a question about these horrible things that happen to them while they're sleeping, or it feels like they're waking up, but they're paralyzed. They can't move. Uh, there's this terrifying thing happening to them. And it's oftentimes, I mean, this last time, uh, it was a woman who was in her probably early 60s and had been plagued with this her entire life. Mm. And uh, people didn't know what to do with it. She saw visions. She had these hallucinations. I mean, it was really something that set her completely apart from her family, from her friends. Uh, and I just thought, gosh, this is so tragic. This because... I mean, I said, hey, my friend Ryan wrote this book. You should definitely get it because this sound, this is sounds like sleep paralysis. It's just amazing how how uh, actually kind of common sleep yeah, paralysis is. It, what's what's sort of interesting and, and sad, as you were saying, is that it's really prevalent. Yeah. Yet there's this sense of shame around it, and people don't communicate their experiences because it's just not quite <laughs> socially acceptable to talk right. about demons in the 21st century. Yeah. Um, especially because of the sort of realistic, you know, feel of the thing. Mm -hmm. Now, I have to mention that sleep paralysis is, you know, a symptom of some pretty serious sleep disorders. It, yes. it, it comes with narcolepsy. Mm -hmm. I think 60% or so of people who um, are diagnosed with narcolepsy mm. also have sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. Um and other kinds of, um, you know, sleep, wake, wake, sleep, you know, circadian rhythm disorders, yeah. um, sleep paralysis comes, comes with it. But isolated sleep paralysis is, is having this happen without being diagnosed. And it can, basically can come and go because of simple lifestyle mm -hmm. habits um, in the dreamer's life, like essentially not getting enough sleep, mm -hmm. being sleep deprived, or having an erratic sleep schedule. Even things like taking too much caffeine, yeah. um, you know, before going to bed. Right. And and uh, can't sleep apnea uh, click that in as well? Yeah, sleep apnea, for sure. Yeah. Any any kind of um, primary sleep disorder that disrupts um, the quality of sleep can affect this because essentially what's happening is, is that the dreaming sleep or REM sleep comes at inappropriate times and it's just the system gets uh basically a little out of whack yeah what about uh what about mental health are there any indicators or any conclusions about you know what what mental conditions might be related to sleep paralysis you know interesting i i don't know any actual um parallels mm -hmm. um with that and there could be some, um, but I haven't found them. Yeah. And what I'm mostly hearing from, from the sleep doctors is that isolated sleep paralysis is completely healthy. Uh-huh. And, and if you have the experience of, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and you can't move and you see a demon on your chest yeah. and it's the most terrifying real thing that's ever happened to you, you're not going crazy. Right. That's pretty much the message. Yes. I, and, you know, I, I had the other... Um, Another experience of a friend who has reported his uh, sleep paralysis um, events, 
and and I've said you really you really must read this book because you know he he had this whole full blown vision of this spirit and and being a real uh, you know kind of a pagan guy this was a you know this was a, a literal visitation and so and and he said no I don't want to read it and I said well why not and he goes I can't stand reading another reductionist book that tells me that this is all in my mind or is this physiologic thing and I said no you actually this is the, one of the things that I can can uh, wholeheartedly recommend about your book Ryan is that it doesn't treat uh, these phenomena as sort of uh, the, the side effects of physiologic uh, misfirings or too much caffeine. I mean, you actually have this whole nother range of advice and observations about sleep paralysis. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you know, the way I look at it is about dream studies in general and sleep paralysis and nightmares as well mm -hmm. is that we've got the biological information about what's happening and the causes and all that sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that the imagery and the experiences that we have aren't meaningful. Yeah. They're real moments. I mean, a, kind of an existential perspective that, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is a real human moment. Mm -hmm. uh, I should just mention that uh, you are listening to Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ann Hill, and I'm talking on the phone with Ryan Hurd, who is the author of Sleep Paralysis, A Guide to Hypnagogic Visions and Visitors in the Night. Um, Ryan, before we go any farther, how can people get a hold of your book? Well, you can primarily you can find it on Amazon. Okay. So just you can even just uh, go into Amazon and do a search for sleep paralysis, and it'll pop up. Great. That's what people should do. I highly recommend it. Oh, also your your website dreamstudies.org has some great information and some excerpts from the book too. So. That's true. That's true. I think I've probably actually published. Uh, probably a quarter of the material on dreamstudies.org in, in book excerpts. Yes. So it's it's worthwhile if you if you think sleep paralysis might be what's going on for you, go check out Ryan's website and see and you might just decide you need to uh to get that book. Hey, so here's a Halloweeny treat. Oh, okay, great. Another connection with sleep paralysis visions is the concept of vampires. Ooh, okay, then I'm going to cue the spooky music. Continue. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, uh, vampires are creatures that come into your room or into your bedroom uh -huh. and, and they suck your life force out. And, um, you know, we have them definitely in European culture, but it's also a cross-cultural phenomenon. Uh -huh. um, you know, sometimes they're more like teethy animals than they are humanoid, but they definitely, it's the same sort of idea where it's a, a dark, um, an entity that doesn't have your best interests in mind. Yeah. Um, that, is, that is taking something from you while you're paralyzed. Mm. Um, but I think that the greatest, probably one of the clearest indications of um, the links with vampires and sleep paralysis is from Bram Stoker's um, Dracula. Hmm. Itself, and if you if you can, I'll I'll read this short sure. passage. Oh yeah, please. So this is from from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm -hmm. There was in the room the same thin white mist that I had before discovered. I felt the same vague terror which had come to me before, and the same sense of some presence. Then indeed, my heart sank within me beside the bed, as if it had stepped out of the mist, or rather, as if the mist had turned into this figure, mm -hmm. for it had completely disappeared stood a tall, thin man, all in black. I knew him at once for the description of the others, the waxen face, the high nose, 
on which the light fell in a thin white line, the parted red lips and the sharp white teeth showing between, and the red eyes. I would have screamed out, only I was paralyzed. Yeah. So here's one more sleep paralysis sufferer for you. One more sleep paralysis (laughs) sufferer. Creating one of the, the most phenomenal, you know, fictional yeah. works, uh, I think, in our culture. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, and, you know, Mary Shelley with Frankenstein, it's really remarkable how some of these, I mean, and these are just enormous, I, I would call them cultural shadows. The vampire, uh, the, 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 the Frankenstein figure. These are, these are well, it, they're cultural icons, at least, and it's so fascinating that they have so many, uh, ties and obvious parallels with, with sleep, with nightmares, sleep paralysis visions, that type of thing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think calling it, calling it the shadow is, mm-hmm. is exactly right. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, and you know, werewolves, too, uh-huh. have a connection to this this idea, but it's a little different with yeah, werewolves. Ex- yeah. Because, uh, you know, uh, the... Really, the concept here is animal transformation, uh-huh. and some cultures and people have been able to use their sleep paralysis as a gateway into essentially lucid dreaming uh-huh. or out-of-body experiences in which they take on the, the body or form of another animal, hmm. and the werewolf myth is definitely connected to this. Interesting. I've only had, I can only think of one experience in a dream that I was transformed into an animal of some sort. Does this something that happens to you or has happened to you in uh, sleep paralysis situations? It hasn't happened to me in sleep paralysis, but I've had had dreams where it's happened. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I had a very powerful lucid dream probably about five or six years ago um, where I transformed into a wolf. Mm-hmm. And while it was happening, I was running, and I kind of realized I was running on all fours. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that I was transforming, I, I felt this immense power hmm. um, and also anger come through oh. me. It was a, for me the, the the transformation to the wolf was it was almost like a way that I could express some sort of anger yeah. that I couldn't do in my in my dream form in my human form huh. and you know and for me it's a personal dream symbol I look yeah. back at the patterns of, of of wolf dreams and and dog dreams and I see that there's um, there's a connection there mm-hmm mm-hmm well that is really interesting um, one of the things that I I really I, I wrote down a, a phrase that kind of stuck in my head that was that shadows uh, don't take to being called a representation. <laughs> I think you wrote that somewhere in your book, and I just thought, yeah, I, I wonder <laughs> how that is. Okay, you're, you're in this dream, and, and uh, you know whether you've just turned into a wolf or whether there's an enormous succubus you know, smashing your chest, to, to be somewhat lucid in that experience and think, this is a dream, therefore this is a representation, that actually doesn't quite get you where you want to go, does it? No, no, that just pisses them off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, I mean, and maybe there's some some sort of uh, personal dynamics going on with the with the with the with the vision, and you know, the, the boundary between self and other is different in visions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, regardless of whether you think, hey, this is a representation of some unconscious part of myself, yeah. or I'm in contact with 
earth elements or, you know, something else is going on that I don't quite understand. Yeah. There's no doubt about it that when that one's expectation and the thoughts that you have in the moment influence what you see, how things treat you, mm-hmm. and, and what can happen. Yeah. And so if you have this sort of attitude about, I'm the real thing here right. in this encounter, and everything else is an illusion, in a sleep paralysis uh, vision, that can just um, cause anger in p- possibly even more nightmarish elements to occur, mm-hmm. almost as if in, a, in reaction to your mm-hmm. attitude. It's kind of like you have to, number one, be accepting. Or maybe it's like my friend Pandora always says, you know, default setting should always be being polite, no matter what world you're in. Yeah, you know, how hard is that? I mean, we learned that one pretty, pretty young. Pretty, pretty young. <laughs> Everything Please I need. thank you. <laughs> I know, you, you could write the next book, Everything I Needed to Know About Sleep Paralysis I Learned in Kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's 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 true that um, that if if you can find a sense of balance and and, and gratitude for for the moment, yeah, and um, acceptance, um, and even if you can muster it, a sense of love for the despised, which I think is one of the hardest spiritual lessons. Yep. Of all lessons. Yep. Um, to truly embrace the shadow you're opening a door to an entire new realm of experience with yeah. these nightmares. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I totally agree that it's the hardest thing to muster. I mean, I've had the experience several times in my life of, of getting to the point there's a huge shadow figure, uh, whether it comes from a dream or a vision, and I wrestle with it and I come to this understanding and I'm able to sort of get to that place of even compassion or recognition and acceptance and then I think okay check done and then a whole nother one comes that's like way more frightening than the first one and Uh, my first my first dreams about this figure are just like it's a fight to the death (laughs) and it's just horrible and I think okay well that's because I'm human this is one of the things about being human there's always a shadow you always overcome or, or are able to integrate or, you know, communicate in some way with the shadow figure. But that doesn't mean that that's a done task. <laughs> it's always on. It's always on the, the to-do list. Yeah, yeah, there's no, yeah, exactly. You just don't check it off. Well, okay. I face my shadow, so I'm done with that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll meditate today. Yeah, <laughs> just wait. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about your, your friend who... Um, had you said it, a sort of an ancestral encounter yeah there was sleep paralysis vision and that's one of the possibilities that mm-hmm. happens when you learn to swallow your fear right. and face what's happening um with with some acceptance that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to necessarily give in yeah. um you know especially you know I, I think a special note for people who have ever had a history of abuse or sexual abuse yeah Sleep paralysis is actually more common for people with with, with a history of, of sexual mm-hmm. abuse, mm-hmm. and these um, and basically the visions can take on the characteristics of some of their memories. Yeah, and in this case, it might be beneficial to use your power of the ego to say no and to create stronger boundaries. Yes. Um, so you know, there's definitely it's there's not a you know just one way of how to how to do these kind of things. Yeah, I think However, if you can remain if you can have your strong boundaries and at the same time open up your heart to 
an ex- to a, to a verbal exchange. Yeah. What? How can I help you? Right. You know. What can right. I do for you? Um, the creature itself can physically transform in front of you. Yes. And I think that's a really good point. I mean, I've heard many dream workers say, oh, you must accept, you must integrate, blah, blah. But actually, the first, especially if you, even if you just have a history of acquiescence to things that that you don't agree with, you know, whether it's a familial pattern or what have you, the first and most important thing is actually to establish those boundaries, to be able to say a really clear, very strong no, to be able to, tell people to go away and they go away in your dreams yeah right you've got to you've got to build up the wall before you can yeah. open the door that's set yeah. in the wall i absolutely agree i think that's really important advice uh you are listening to dream talk radio i'm speaking with ryan hurd this morning on sleep paralysis and spirits and all sorts of other things. Ryan's uh, book is called Sleep Paralysis, A Guide to Hypnagogic Visions and Visitors in the Night, and you can find it on Amazon. So do you want to hear one of my sort of spooky sleep paralysis experiences? Yes, I do. Can I cue up some music? (laughs) Of course. Okay, great. So this occurred maybe about three or four years ago. And I was sleeping over at my wife's parents' house. Uh-huh. And I was sleeping in, this was before we were married, so I was sleeping in the guest bedroom, of, um, uh, which also was where my wife's grandmother had lived and died. Mm-hmm. And I never knew this woman um, and had really knew very, very little about her. Um, but but I knew that she had died in that room, and that mm. kind of made me a little creepy, Yeah, feel a little creepy. Anyhow, I went to sleep that, I think, probably the second night I was there, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and as I was going back to sleep, I uh, went to a state of sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't move. Um, you know, I felt a sort of general sense of pressure on me, almost like I was being pushed into the mattress. Mm-hmm. And then the thought occurred, oh, yeah, this is where Wendy's grandmother died. And just as that thought occurred, I felt the sense of presence in the room. Hmm. And this really scared me. Yeah. And then I basically had to sort of recheck in with myself and kind of ground myself and say, okay, you know, there's no really reason to be fearful. I can wake up at any time if I want to, Mm -hmm. because there are certain tactics you can use for waking up in sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so she materialized. And it was, it was actually, I would say a middle-aged woman, and she was holding these reams of paper in Mm. front of her. Um, And she sort of communicated to me telepathically, there was no words really being spoken, but suddenly I, I had this understanding that these were these are her stories yeah. and, and her writings, and that she's been forever, I guess, for the last however long, this is what she's been focusing on. Right. And, and I basically, there was a question that was not asked, but the question, but the question was, do you want to, do you want to see what I've seen? Hmm. And I thought to myself and said, show me. Mm-hmm. And I instantly, my body uh, melted through the mattress. My, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I've now entered what I would call a visionary state or mm-hmm. a lucid dreaming voyage. 
and suddenly I was flying <laughs> throughout the heavens. This is very. This is a very. I I flew through mists mm-hmm. and fires, and I saw the earth from up above. Wow. Um, and this this just I I saw all these different sort of veils of sort of heavenly realms as as they would say, mm. and eventually I was dropped back down into the ocean. And I'm sitting here treading water in the ocean, and the waves are pretty big as if a storm is approaching. Mm-hmm. And I said at that point, okay, I think I've had enough. <laughs> Time. <laughs> and I woke up. I woke myself up. Uh-huh. So that's, that's an example right. of, um, of kind of a, a guided journey that, that can, that can yeah. happen. And so um, well, the, the, the second part of the story is, is that I told uh, my wife's parents about the dream that I had that next morning when we were at breakfast. And her mother got very, very quiet mm-hmm. um, when I mentioned the part about the writings. Yeah. And she told me, well, my mother uh, what, loved to tell stories, and she always used to say that if she didn't have all of us kids, that she'd be a journalist. She'd, oh, she'd got all these stories in her head. And that one day she really wants to write them all down and send them off to Reader's Digest. Mm. And um, and it just wasn't in the cards for her. Yeah. Gosh, that is, and so she was telling you a story in some way. Right. Yeah. And and not only that, but um, the different the things that I saw on the journey mm-hmm. correspond pretty um, exactly to yeah. their particular religious system that I, that um, that I'm mm-hmm. learning about. Mm-hmm. This is a Swedenborgian um, uh-huh. Christianity all these sort of layers of, of, of heaven, right. um, and, it's, and it's, it's really marvelous. And Swedenborg himself, uh, 17th century Enlightenment philosopher, yeah. mystic, um, he was a sleep paralysis hypnagogic master as well. Huh. And so um, it, was, it was interesting to see how kind of all those correspondences yes. occurred. You know, it's so interesting. Um, I was just thinking as you were talking about how uh, you, the the basic, well, one of the basic messages of your book is that sleep paralysis, number one, you can control it. Number two, uh, you can actually use it to get into this lucid dreaming state. And I was thinking the same thing as you're talking about insomnia, because one of the things that happens to me is that I wake up, you know, 3 or 4 a.m., and then I get on the anxiety train, and I can't get back to sleep. Uh-huh. And so learning how to actually control that anxiety, I've started to go into these very um, shallow-stepped layers of hypnagogic dreams. Hypnagogia is when you are falling asleep, and then you start to dream. And I just had one the other day, and that, and that to me, so now my uh, fairly frequent insomnia, not, not, not every day, but, you know, a couple times a month for sure, uh, has been able to lead to some types of not really sustained lucidity, but for instance, just the other, um, just last week or so, I I um, was up at about three or four in the morning, and I thought, oh no, now I'm not going to get be able to get to sleep. But I just sort of did my the things that I've learned that are uh, that I can re- uh, that I can use to relax, and I still thought I was uh, awake. But then I just had this little slip of a dream image, and the dream was of just seeing this very long bridge on its side and it was sort of over this kind of a wetlands it was a long low bridge and i just said oh it's a bridge but it's on its side let's let's write it and so i i flipped it up easily and then it sort of clicked back into place and then i realized oh 
I'm having a dream. I am in, you know, first or second stage sleep. How cool is this? But then I was able to kind of sustain that and actually walk on the bridge, look at the terrain. And so I, I think it's really important to to emphasize that fact. Th- these are things that you can control. You can be able to get, uh, you know, kind of tame your insomnia or tame your 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 sleep paralysis use the different things to to make it go away but then there's also this doorway into this whole other realm of experience that's really cool very cool yeah i uh i sometimes get similar sort of things and and what i'll do is if i can't sleep is is i'll read about you know dreams or consciousness and and whatnot Mm -hmm. and um and um, just try to sort of focus on some of these higher self kind of things to get mm-hmm. me away from thinking about my taxes, right? Um, or, or, or those unpaid bills, and, yeah. and you know, and and really, yeah, focus on um, those elements yeah. that are naturally brought out when we mm-hmm. are in light stages of sleep. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the whole thing: is, is yeah. that when we're dreaming, these concepts come up on their own. Yes. Um, and sort of our abilities um, to meld reality and, and and to be in an enhanced reality um, that's not of our making necessarily. Right. Um, and to learn from that. Yes. Uh, one of the th- another thing that that uh, caught my eye as I'm looking through your book again is this idea that um, learning to to take advantage of or to use these states to uh, extend our conscious awareness or have different kinds of experiences is a form of initiation. And you, uh, you write that um, initiated dreamers have something to offer the world. And I'm wondering what your, what your vision of that is. Yeah, well, I think maybe one way to approach this is, is, is talking about lucid dreaming mm-hmm. in general. And, and, and this idea of waking up in your dream and realizing you're dreaming. Mm-hmm. I mean, in mass culture, the very next thought that occurs is you can control your dream. Right. And this is the way that it's marketed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is also the why people get into it is, is they want more control in their lives. And, and that's also, I would say, how many psychologists and therapists view it. They actually have a negative view of lucidity because of this marketing gimmick of you yeah, can control. Yeah, particularly depth psychologists yes. who feel that it's some sort of interference yes. with natural processes yeah. of yeah. the dream. Um, and, of, of course, what I'm trying to say is, is that this attitude is only one of many attitudes one can have with lucid dreaming. Mm-hmm. And, and the much older um, sort of shamanic or spiritual practices that have happened across the world and throughout history are one of participation yes, uh, and of co-creation and of uh, being present in the dream to interact with that which arises naturally. Yeah. Not to stuff it back down so you can have your fantasies about Hollywood starlets, but in order to, you know, interact with what's happening right here and right now. Mm-hmm. And also to, to, to take that um, attitude in, or that power in order to go on to voyages and, and healing um spirit voyages uh, for information mm-hmm. or for clients that you're trying to heal. And this is sort of the shamanic perspective. Right. And that's where the animal transformation piece comes back into as yes. well, is where people would go onto a healing voyage, take the form of an eagle mm-hmm. in, in, in order to, you know, see sort of the, the dream, 
the dreaming version of reality mm-hmm. of that of that community and of that family. And so it's not just about you know the individual personality, but mm-hmm. us as a culture uh, or as a family of origin, and sort of all these different nested systems that we have mm-hmm. access to. Yeah, it's just a, a very, I, you know, um, it's it's a it's an idea that has so many different uh, interesting uh, intersections between that and all sorts of other um, ideas and movements going on in the culture. It's just fascinating. So the initiation part comes in because it's not an easy process, mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways you have to um, you have to lose control. Yes. Of, of what's happening around you, and that can be scary and painful. Yeah. And, and some people talk about, well, perhaps it's best to tell a story. Um, a woman from the Middle East told me her dream, and it was a sleep paralysis experience that started when she was laying in her bed, and then suddenly she was with her eyes open now, or, or so she, you know, mm-hmm. so it felt like, she saw uh, the wall kind of begin to crumble in her room mm. and out stepped a, a demon, a mm. large 11-foot-tall horned creature. Mm. And, and she was like, oh, yeah, okay, uh, you're like some sort of shadow aspect of my personality. Right. And he just sort of laughed at her. He's like, you can't integrate me. Ooh. That's, so there's the, you don't want to right. <laughs> say that, yeah. You want to, you know, want some cookies? It yes. might be a nice, you know, <laughs> the kindergarten perspective there. Exactly. Um, and when what happened in this dream is that this creature took her, took his gigantic hand, grabbed her, and just put her in his mouth and shooed her up. And she said that it was extraordinarily painful. Mm-hmm. She was swallowed. She lost consciousness. And then suddenly she came back to consciousness and she realized that she was sitting in his, the palm of a gigantic hand, Mm. this, this creature's hand. But now she was in the body, not of herself, Mm -hmm. but she was a red jewel. Wow. And she suddenly with these feelings, she and, and this creature kind of shared a sense of love and, and togetherness. Uh, she calls it a transpersonal experience. Oh, yeah. she, she experienced a, a kind of a kind of love and, and and oneness that she had never had before. Well, you know that that's uh, that really turns the tables on the idea of that we can integrate these forces. Actually, maybe what needs to happen is they need to integrate us, or yeah. actually ingest <laughs> us. You know, embody us. <laughs> totally different. Go. Totally different. I and think that, that's a that's a very old idea, and a, you yeah. know that is a shamanic perspective of, of yeah. the ego needs to to be destroyed to be reborn. Yes, and and that in dreams and in visions, death are followed by rebirth. Yeah, and so it's not like if you're going to die, you're going to have a heart attack for real. And mm-hmm. it, what what is dying is incorrect. Um, you know, constellation of yourself that is seeing the world, or mm-hmm. or, or one that that no longer is needed. Right. It's like you're leaving a shell behind and looking for a bigger shell because you're growing. So that's one way that the initiation can take place. And it's mm-hmm. just, and it, and it doesn't mean that every time that you are in a dream and you, you know, are against some sort of force that you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to let myself be killed. Right. Not, it's not necessarily the best way to go. That's right. Um, 
In fact, I had a, I actually had a sleep paralysis experience a couple of nights ago, and uh, it was interesting because I started to uh, feel myself getting pressed into the mattress, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, I don't I don't really want to go that way this mm-hmm. time, and I decided to kind of go up instead, mm-hmm. and and I did, and I kind of left my body, and I found myself in a dream in a strange house, and I actually lost lucidity briefly, and I was like, what am I dreaming? What's going on? Oh, mm-hmm. this is my this is where I live. This is mm-hmm. my house. And I'm like, finally, I had this thought, no, this is a dream. Mm-hmm. So I, I lost it for a little bit. I went outside, and then there was a lake back there, and out of the lake rose these gigantic crocodile, dinosaur-sized creatures, just dino-sized crocodiles. Wow. And... One of them saw me and made a rush for me, hmm. and I had the thought maybe I should, maybe I should take the you know the initiation and I should die and get mm-hmm. swallowed up. And then I thought, nah. <laughs> and instead, I fought it to the death. Uh-huh. And and it was a you know for me that's just what I had to do in yeah, that moment. That's right. Is to is to struggle with this <laughs> this creature. Yeah. Um, and in a very vampiric fashion, I eventually stabbed it with a wooden stake through the heart. Uh huh. That, that's so interesting. You know, crocodiles are a major um, ancestral image, uh, not just from, I'm thinking of uh, from uh, Africa, from Senegal, but also from uh, Indonesia, their uh-huh. ancestral spirits. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I do not claim to have all the answers about how one should act in these kinds of experiences. I, I feel like I'm always learning and testing and, mm-hmm. and yeah. sometimes doing things incorrectly. Yeah. Um, but I think that you can't take yourself too seriously or your dreams too seriously either. And That's if you right. kind of mess it up or if the dream fades or if you make the wrong choice, you don't have to worry about it because if it's important, if this threshold needs to be met, yeah. um, there will be another opportunity That's for it. That's right. You are listening to Dream Talk Radio. I'm Ann Hill, your host, talking to Ryan Hurd, the author of Sleep Paralysis, A Guide to Hypnagogic Visions and Visitors in the Night. Um, I, you know, I think that's really important, Ryan, the, the idea that there is, because they're dreams, I mean, this is like the death that's not a death. We get do-overs. If we mess up in one time in the dream and we, we think we, re, we wake up and we think, ah, you know, I didn't quite handle that right. I should have done this or I could have done that. We get to do it again. We get to right. experience it again. Yeah. Yeah. In in fact, um, there's some advanced lucid dreaming techniques. Um, for instance, one's called dream reliving, and mm-hmm. this one is um, talked about often by uh, Scott Sparrow, a psychotherapist uh, out of Texas. Mm-hmm. And he actually wrote one of the first books of lucid dreaming published in the United States mm-hmm. in like 1976. Wow, that was early. Yeah, very. It, it was. It was the first book in the U.S. that was that was, um, and it was um, basically a version of his dissertation on the topic. Mm-hmm. So he takes a psycho, you know, uh, therapeutic um, sort of entryway into into lucid dreaming with this dream reliving. But his recommendation is is uh, you can do it by waking up in the middle of the night because you know you have more sort of dreams towards the end of the night anyway, just of the way that REM yeah. cycles work. Yeah. Uh, the first half of sleep tends to be more of um, deep sleep in stage two, and then, and then towards the night we, we get these longer. And towards the morning, I'm sorry, we get these longer REM cycles. Right. So if you wake yourself up naturally, um, you know, at three or four in the morning, perfect opportunity to sit up in bed, 
maybe do 10 minutes of, of breathing mm. or, you know, you could even do some yoga, some light, yeah. light yoga, you know, actually, you know, move your body physically, get back into bed and you can focus on a dream that you had that you want to relive and maybe make a different choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can go back into the dream. Sometimes this is easier in the middle of the night to just like to, to, to go between the states rather than trying to do it when you first, you know, are going to sleep. Mm-hmm. And you might go through sleep paralysis or you might drift straight into um, into REM without sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dream can recrystallize around you and, and there, there's your opportunity again. That's very cool. I, I have never I've never been able to do that to actually summon up a dream that I wanted to re-enter like that pretty advanced pretty powerful stuff yeah you'd have to be pretty good at meditation <laughs> or that type of meditation or well, you you know it's interesting i've heard you know people that can do this stuff who are not meditators hmm. um who um some people just have the knack and yeah. i think it's it's about uh intentionality uh-huh. so you've got to really want to do it and you kind of all your you're you, I guess all of your senses of self have to agree. You sort of your lower and your middle and your higher self. Like this is something of importance. Yeah. So it can't be this attitude of wouldn't it be neat to re-enter that dream where I was in the Bahamas and this time I order a mai tai, you know, instead of yeah. a pina colada. But it's, rather, it's something where you're facing something maybe that you don't want to face, yeah. or that is an issue that's coming up in a waking life. And it's, you know, or it could be night. You know, it could be nightmarish. Doesn't mm-hmm. have to be. Mm-hmm could be a conflict you want to resolve right in the past my my current thing for getting for moving into um an open-minded sort of dream friendly uh state of mind at that three or four a.m thing because you know i'll start thinking about the thing that i can't fix or that i don't have a solution for and you know you just start start going around and around with what really sucks, what's really bad, <laughs> or, you know, what, like you said, the taxes or the bills or what have you. But the, the thought that always is able to, to get me out of that and into a deeper state is the thought that all of this can change in an instant. Like, yes, this is all true. And it can all change in an instant. I don't know what phone call I'm going to get tomorrow. I don't know what's going to show up in the mail. I don't know anything about what's going to happen. And it can all change. And somehow that allows me to let go of it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's, you know, that really critical thing of opening up to something that's greater than ourselves. That sense of surrender. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, surrender is a um, really fantastic concept to bring into lucid dreaming. Mm-hmm. This is actually what I worked on for my master's thesis, mm. was I, I focused on a series of lucid dreams in which I Essentially, I would go into a, a state that I call the void or imageless lucid dreaming, in which I'm um, in the dream world, but I'm in a in a dark, imageless world. Yeah. And and the way to get into those things for me is to be in a dream, to be lucid, and to go through a mirror mm-hmm. or a portal, or sometimes it, you know if my willpower is strong enough to melt through the floor, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is when you go through these kind of uncanny, do these uncanny sort of things, the dream imagery scatters. And often people will see buzzing lights, almost like cosmic-y, almost like the static on a TV. Mm. Um, 
and it can be very, you know, some abstract geometrics, and sometimes it's just a blank gray space. This is what Robert Wagner talks about mm-hmm. in his right. book, Lucid Dreaming. Right. So when I was in that, that sort of blank void space, I would try to surrender, mm-hmm. as you're saying, and not have it, and basically control for my expectations and, and be in a sense of what comes, and also with a with a, a, a nice thought of, of gratitude uh, to keep it positive, right? Um, and um, you know, trying to control for my fear because that's that is literally to be in in the place of the unknown. Yes. And what would happen in these dreams is that the dream would recrystallize around me, and the scenery would occur first, and then my body would materialize. Hmm. And they were completely spontaneous, lucid dream scenes. Uh, And they were pretty intense, I have to say. Mm -hmm. And in fact, a third of the time that I was doing this, I reemerged in a childhood body between the age of 6 and 10 years old. Wow. In various versions of, you know, the 1970s. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) There was so much wood paneling. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I've been in that dream. Gosh. <laughs> uh, an, another third of the time, I would materialize uh, flying uh, above nature, some sort of nature scene, mm. um, above forests and streams, mm. or actually one time I was moving through the earth. And anyway, th- these were, you know, I kind of did his whole analysis of these experiences, yeah. but they were really powerful Yeah, for me to, to sort of, what happens when the dream shows me what I need to see Yeah, when I'm aware? Right. Uh, and of course, this kind of attitude can happen in sleep paralysis visions as well. Yes. I, you know, uh, that's, that fascinates me. I'm thinking of my, this uh, long series of dreams about snakes that I had uh, starting at 18 and lasting until really my early 40s. And what you were talking about with your crocodile or alligator dream about uh, overpowering it, well, maybe I should let it bite me. I mean, I went through, I could probably pull out, and in fact, I do have, I started at one point pulling out all of the instances of snake dreams from my journals from back in the early 80s. And, uh, they, they, you know, just trying everything, different do-overs of what to do and different constellations of people involved and so on and so forth. And, you know, the, they finally stopped when I actually, I killed the snake. <laughs> wow. And, and, and it was this, you know, there were a lot of different way stations. So I've been thinking a lot about the different ways that we, uh, that we relate to power and the other, the other world, and and the different th- things that we go through, the different stages. It's almost like, I mean, you d- you're describing the sort of initiation that comes through surrender, but there's all kinds of them, actually, I think. Yes. All different kinds, and who knows, maybe I'll, I'll have a whole other raft of them, God forbid, in my, you know, 50s and 60s, but it, I think it's a really, uh, there's no script here. It's just kind of, you do your best, and you just take it one night at a time kind of thing. Right. Especially in, in in Western culture, there's no script. Yeah, I think in other cultures and in the past, um, you know, our elders uh, had stories for us for when we faced certain foes in the dream. 
Yeah. And the realm of possibilities was was more clear. Yeah. For, yeah, we're sort of, you know, doing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Got a paddle. Yeah. Well, that's I think uh, the other thing that I I saw real uh, very recently on your your blog at yourdreamstudies.org was this uh, lucid dream research. Somebody had that that uh, had done some research that indicated that the incidence of lucid dreaming has increased in the past 20 years or so. Yeah, it's, you know, apparently it's possibly up to 40% more people, um, you know, saying that they've had a lucid dream. Wow. And uh, this is, these are, these, you know, these are coming from a couple of different data sources, but mm-hmm. um, I know at least one of them is from um, a very large uh, telephone poll. Really? Um, that's not just college students or, right. you know, sort of the typical dream research stuff, but, you know, pretty good cross-segment of society. Interesting. And so the word lucid dreaming is becoming a household word. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think, I guess one of my hopes and goals with, with my website, uh, Dream Studies, is, is to help form this idea of lucid dreaming is not just about controlling your dreams, mm-hmm. but as um, exploring, co-creating, and um, interacting, you know, w- with the dream. Yes. I, you know, I, I th- w- as always, this, uh, now we could go on for the next two hours talking about <laughs> continuations, of the implications of the stuff that we just talked about for the first hour. <laughs> Has it been an hour already? It has. Can you believe that? Yeah, it's about 10 o'clock. I know. Wow. Uh, so uh, we will have to drop it there, but that's a, a wonderful place to drop it, I think. And, and it, But it also does make me curious. Okay, well, is the incidence of lucid dreaming increasing or is it the reportage of lucid dreaming increasing? That is indeed the question. Yeah. Maybe it's 2012. Oh, Jesus, don't. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Boo! I vote against it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it is an election year this year too. I I don't know. I don't know what what it is, but um, whatever it is, I I think it's a good thing. Uh, Yeah, I I share your your impression there. Um, We have been talking to Ryan Hurd, author of Sleep Paralysis: A Guide to Hypnagogic Visions and Visitors in the Night. You can find out more about Ryan's uh, sleep re- and dream research at dreamstudies.org. Ryan, it's been such a pleasure talking with you this morning. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. And, oh, your book is now out in print, and it's available on Amazon. So come on, gang. You, you do yourself a favor. Give yourself a little a little Halloween treat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good to talk to you, Ryan. I'll, we'll be in touch. All right. Okay. That ends this week's Dream Talk radio show podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.